episode 89 of Board Game Blitz, a proud member of the Dice Tower Network and a podcast about all things board games that you can listen to in less time than it takes to set up that game that you love that has so many components. Board Game Blitz is sponsored by Gray Fox Games. This week, we're talking about games we don't play often enough. First, we discuss a couple games we've played recently, like Transamerica and the Herb Witches expansion for Quacks of Quedlinburg. We talk about games we wished were hitting our game tables more frequently and what's stopping that from happening. Finally, we wrap things up with a look at the etymology of the word rare. And now, here are your hosts, Ambie and Crystal. Recently, I played Transamerica, which is a game designed by Franz Beno Delange, published in 2001, originally by Winsome Games, which I've mentioned before, uh, but then for mass production the English version was Rio Grande. So Transamerica is a train game. It's pretty simple. So there's a map of America and you're going across it. <laughs> but, um, so there's different cities and then there's lines connecting the cities in like a triangular grid. And there are wooden rectangles that you use as routes. And everyone has five cards that are different cities in different locations of the map and all the cards are unique so you're not going to have the same city as someone else and you're trying to connect those cities and the first person to connect all five of their cities wins but the thing is all of the track you build is common track so if you you have to start in a specific place that you pick but then once you connect to someone else all of that track is connected so you can like use what other people have built to connect your city. So if they built really close to the cities that you want to connect, then you just like build one more track and then it's connected. So it's it's pretty interesting because of that shared track. And sometimes one person is just not connected yet and they're really sad. But then once they get connected, it's like, oh yes, I, now everything's connected. But it... It's fun and very simple and really easy to teach people. Like I've played it with a bunch of people who aren't usually gamers and I've played it with like family and friends and I think it plays up to six players. It, uh, Transamerica plays two to six players and it takes 30 minutes. So I enjoy it a lot. There's I think an expansion where it adds uh, routes that are colored that would be only your own that you can use, but I haven't played with that version. And I like that everything's shared because it's just so simple. So yeah, that's Transamerica. Yeah, I, I like Transamerica as well. I, I think, this is kind of hard to remember, either the very first year of MeepleCon or maybe the second, but I think the first mm-hmm. year of MeepleCon when it was a single day event, I think this is the first game that I played that day. Um, like I remember a person who used to be part of my game group who isn't anymore um, brought it and taught it to us. Um, yeah. And also I just recently placed an order from Japanese Amazon and there's a new edition of this game called Transamerica and Japan. Oh. And it's only available in Japan as far as I can tell. Uh, the box cover is gorgeous. But yeah, it has the America map and a brand new Japanese map that it has not been released in any other edition of the game. I almost wow. bought it, but then it's like, I've played Transamerica before and it's <laughs> fun. I like it, but I really just don't need to own it. Mm-hmm. And I was drawn in by the artwork and I almost pulled the trigger and decided not to. So, yeah. Uh, but yeah, uh, this is a fun one. I like it a lot. 
Yeah, and I think there's also like a Trans Europe or something. Trans Europa. Trans Europa. Okay. Yeah. So there's a few different versions of this. Mm-hmm. As you all already know, I picked up a bunch of games at Gen Con, and one of the things that I got to acquire was the Herb Witches expansion for Quacks of Quedlinburg. Uh, Quacks of Quedlinburg was my number five game um, for 2018 when we did our Blitzies episode back at the beginning of the year. And the Herb Witches expansion just came out or is kind of releasing right now. Uh, They had a few copies at Gen Con, but I don't think it's gotten wide release yet, but it's definitely happening soon. So the Herb Witches expansion adds a fifth player. Uh, It adds more, well, more ingredients of the regular types to accommodate that fifth player. And it also adds the Herb Witches, which are sets of three different witches that you play with one of uh, each colored witch in a single game. And you have witch pennies that you pay to the herb witches to use their special powers. So these herb witches give you special abilities that kind of break the regular rules of the game in really cool ways. So for instance, like one of the witches will let you use your flask after your pot explodes. Normally you can only use the flask that lets you put a token back into your bag if your if your pot hasn't exploded yet, and that witch will let you do it after your pot explodes, which is really powerful. Um, there's also witches that will increase your buying power, upgrade your tokens for free, or do lots of other things. Uh, let you spend rubies on stuff more cheaply. And you pick a different witch of each of the three colors every game. Um, There's also a new ingredient that this expansion adds called Loco Weed. And Loco Weed is cool because it copies the abilities of other colored tokens in your bag. So when you pull the Loco Weed, it copies the number and color of the token that was pulled before it. So that's really neat because theoretically if you buy some high value tokens in other colors and then you pull a Loco Weed right after them, you get to do it twice basically, which is pretty neat. I love this dang game so much. I even, I bought the upgraded bits that Board Game Geek had for sale at Gen Con. So I have the cool heat transfer tokens for the base game and expansion. And then I organized everything. If you all are not following us on social media, you missed out on me posting the most beautifully organized game I've ever had. Like, I'm not an organized person. Everything is a disaster in my life. Everything. And this one box, Quacks of Quedlinburg, has a Plano box that is so beautifully organized. And we just played with it at my game group on Thursday. It was so easy. People just like grabbed the tokens they needed out of the little box and then clean up. We threw them back into their spots. It was so easy. I loved it. It's the best. I spent $75 just on the tokens. Literally, the tokens for the base game and expansion combined cost $75. That is too much. <laughs> I mean, I, I am a lucky person that I have a little bit of disposable income uh, and I had some money allocated for Gen Con specifically. So that is how I was able to do such a ridiculous thing. But honestly, I love the upgraded bits from Board Game Geek. So if you are somebody who likes Quacks of Quedlinburg and plans on playing it a lot, this will help because otherwise the cardboard tokens will eventually get wear and tear from getting drawn out of the bag so often. Um, and these plastic heat transfer tokens will not. So Herb Witches gets a enthusiastic two thumbs up from me. I honestly, I think it's a must have as far as expansions go. And that's not to say that I would be unwilling to play base game Quacks. I would, but I think if you like Quacks, this expansion is a no brainer. It doesn't increase the complexity of the game in any way. And it just adds some really cool ways to break the rules of the game and that new ingredient's great too. The only thing I kind of wish it included that it doesn't is more of the fortune teller cards. 
I, I, it seems like it would have been an easy thing to throw in and I'm not quite sure why they didn't do that. I just would have liked to see more of them, but that's a the tiniest of nitpicks. Uh, otherwise, it is a complete win for me. So that is the Herb Witches expansion for Quacks of Quedlinburg from North Star Games. For our thematic segment this week, we wanted to talk, so we, we often talk about the games that we're currently playing and the ones that we're playing a lot and the ones that we're really loving in this given moment. But we wanted to talk about those games, the ones that we love that are sitting on our shelves. Maybe they have a thin layer of dust on them and we are sad about it because we are not getting them to the table often enough. So many games. (laughs) I think this tends to happen to a lot of people who start not just playing hobby games, but collecting hobby games is inevitably, and especially for you and I as content creators, um, we do tend to kind of be drawn to the new stuff. And sometimes the old things get forgotten about a little bit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And like we had a game day the other day and I was looking at the shelf and just thinking, wow, we haven't played this game in a long time, and this game, and this game, and this game, like, so many games. It's like, we should play this sometime. And they're like, yeah, oh, maybe we could play it today. And then we didn't, because we played other games. <laughs> and it's tough for me, too, because, like, I'll have friends who are willing to play a specific thing with me, but then it just, like, the circumstances won't be quite right, and so then we'll defer and go to something else instead and end up playing yeah. a different game. Yeah, that, that's what happens a lot of the time. <laughs> So what are, the, what are some of the top games for you that you are not playing as often as you would like? So a lot of my favorite games I haven't played in a while uh, that, that I don't play very often are Tragedy Looper and Space Alert and The Resistance Avalon and I guess even Dungeon Pets because those are all like in my top 10, right? And I haven't played them that much. I actually have the same problem, like the exact same problem. Like two of my top three games of all time uh, are ones that I would consider on this list that I don't play often enough, and that's Battlestar Galactica and Runebound. I've been talking for literal months that I want to get Runebound back to the table, and I still haven't made it happen. And I have people who are willing to play it with me. We just haven't found the right day. Yeah. Um, And then there's other games on my list that I uh, haven't played in a while that I want to. Uh, Champions of Midgard is a big one for me. And yes, Champions of Midgard is published by our sponsor, Gray Fox Games. But I don't care that they sponsor us. I would <laughs> like that game anyway. In fact, I loved that game before they started sponsoring us. So yeah, Champions of Midgard is one that I really love. Um, Dinosaur Island is another. Mansions of Madness. Um, the Networks. And Tiny Epic Quest is another one on this list for me that actually kind of surprised me. But yeah, I don't get it to the table as often as I would like. Yeah. And yeah, most most of these fall in like, I think a lot of them fall in my top 10 or top 20. <laughs> yeah. And then for other games, like the ones that I was just looking at the shelf thinking, oh, we should play it sometime. Uh, there's Catacombs, uh, Level 7 Omega Protocol, which we, we played like twice and then haven't played in a long time, but we really liked it when we played it. And then Brew Crafters which is fun. And then Flashpoint Fire Rescue, which we just got like a bunch of expansions for. We traded for some expansions and then we bought some more expansions because it was like buy three, get one free or something. (laughs) So we bought like those as some $15 things. But yeah, we still haven't played it (laughs) recently. (laughs) That does tend to happen. So what is making it hard for us to get these games played? For me, it depends on the game. 
So sometimes it's like the player count. Like for the resistance, Avalon, I think you need a minimum of five players. So, But it shines like more than that usually, um, right? Yeah, like, I, I like six and seven, I think. Because I don't use like all of the characters. I like just having Merlin and the assassin. And side note, like I've played this game over a hundred times. It's just not in the past like year or two or something. Ugh. But anyways. But yeah, so I like at six and seven players, but I still don't get those player counts very often. And then also when I do, we're playing other games. And because it needs... An- another thing that's hard is like having the right type of people to play. Because Ooh, that's a good call. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, it's a social deduction game, and some people don't like that, or, yeah, they don't like yelling at each other and stuff. And, yeah, especially with, like, Tragedy Loopers, like, specific people that I play it with. And same with Space Alert. Like, the Space Alert is rules-heavy, and then it's also real-time, so some people don't like real-time games. And then if they... It, it takes a lot to learn the rules and then you have to know the rules and then want to play it again. So you want people who already know how to play it, usually. So it's just tough to get played. For the record, I'm still interested in that one. One of these days, we're going to make that happen. I'll have to study up and learn the rules in advance, but I would like to play that with you. I have a how to play video. <laughs> Ta-da! Check out the Board Game Blitz uh, YouTube channel, everybody. Yeah, I think the biggest factors for me... One of the things that tends to be really hindering for me, like, and it feels like it's like my brain that's kind of stopping me, is if the setup and teardown times for a game are especially long. Like, Mm -hmm. the gameplay itself being long is also a factor, but even if the gameplay isn't super long, if setup and teardown are, it makes me Mm -hmm. less want to get it out on the table. I think kind of Dinosaur Island fits into this for me. Dinosaur Island as a game isn't super long, really, but I if, if that would only be the case if you could, like, poof it into existence on the table, and you can't. It takes a long time to set up all of those pieces, so it feels like those are the types of games that I should, like, technically get an insert for. What's neat is for Champions of Midgard, I actually did get an insert. I haven't put it together and put it in the box yet, but I'm hoping that by having an insert for Champions of Midgard, it will make it easier for me to get it to the table. So that's yeah. kind of the goal. And that might be something I should look into for all of the games on this list is how can I make setup and teardown easier so that way it's not adding additional time onto the game, even if it's not technically a super long game. Yeah, I think for me, that's also a big thing. Like what I remember about Brewcrafters, other than liking it, is that setup took a long time. <laughs> so I was like, uh, we don't have enough time to set that up. But then that reminds me another one that I haven't played in a while is Arkwright which also has a lot of setup. And we actually did get an insert for it, but I don't know if we've played it since getting the insert. Oh, so now you'll have so to see if that helps. Like, <laughs> but we got the insert so long ago. Because it's still a long game even with without the setup. Yeah. I, another thing that tends to hinder me is if the rules are not memorable or hard mm. to remember, or if there's a lot of them in general. So yeah, yeah. similarly to you... And I think that honestly is what, like, that for me factors into Battlestar Galactica a lot. Like, the base game rules aren't that hard to remember, but there's little bits of nuance in that game that, like, I don't, that doesn't stick in my head for some reason. And especially since I like to incorporate bits and pieces from the different expansions when I play it, I am always insecure teaching that game. Mm -hmm. And 
if I had a regular group that I was playing with regularly that also knew the rules, I feel like it, I would be much more comfortable, but I only tend to play Battlestar Galactica about once a year, and I'm often not the one teaching it. Mm -hmm. uh, shout out to David Peterson, who is like my Battlestar Galactica buddy. Uh, <laughs> he tends to come to a lot of the conventions that I've come to, and on the Dice Tower cruise back in January, he offered to set it up and uh, teach anybody who was new. But I think almost everybody playing had played it before. I'm pretty sure. So that was a really fun game. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm just bad at teaching Battlestar Galactica, and so I get scared, and then I just don't do it. Um, mm -hmm. I guess if anybody in my game group is listening and wants to play it soon, let me know and I will get brave and do it because I really miss <laughs> playing it. I would like to play that one more. Once a year is not enough for me. It's like one of my favorite games. Once a year is not enough. <laughs> yeah, and then another thing for me is just like there's other games. Like getting things scheduled is hard because I don't have like a game day, a weekly game night or anything. We, we schedule people to come over and play games and then when we do that a lot of times we've been playing other games especially after discovering 18xx games like when we're playing the longer when we have like three hours we're playing an 18xx game so those like two to three hour games that we used to play we don't really have a spot for that anymore which is sad because i like those games <laughs> Well, and what's funny is you were like, well, we don't have a weekly game day. Fun fact, even if you do have a weekly game day, <laughs> it does not help that much. Because <laughs> I do. I have a weekly uh -huh. game night. And we, like, some of the people in my game group are part of the Facebook group. And some of the people are on Meetup. And some people aren't part of any of those things. And so, like, even if we post in the Facebook group, oh, hey, here's what games I'm bringing. Mm -hmm. When we don't know how many people are going to show up or what yeah. time exactly they're going to show up, it's really difficult for us to say, okay, you, 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 and you are playing this. Like, we can't really do that, like, decided in advance. The only time we've done that recently was when my friend Elissa proposed to her boyfriend Harley at game night. Uh, she used his favorite game, Takedo. I posted the video on our social media a while ago, but she literally had a custom card made for the shop deck in Takedo. So when he went to the shop and drew the card, uh, it had a ring on it and said, will you marry me? And she got down on one knee and it was the most adorable thing in the whole world. Uh, so that's like the only game that I've scheduled recently. And that was only because a proposal was involved. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And it was funny because I like, I, he was supposed to go first and I had the tokens in my hand to drop them out to like see, you know, which token would go first or whatever. And I accidentally dropped the wrong one out, but everybody that was playing was in on it. So it was okay. But I felt really bad. I was like, oh shoot, I dropped the wrong one. We, it's all right. We, we were like, we're not going to the shop. He's the only one allowed to go to the shop. So, <laughs> so we're saying we haven't played these games enough, but what would be enough for you? Divining enough is tough. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> uh, I, I think I already said, like, right now I play Battlestar Galactica about once a year, and that's not enough for me. I think for games like Battlestar Galactica or Runebound, the ones that are really long um, and take a lot of setup and are hard to get to the table, those ones I would say two to three times a year would be better or more in my sweet spot. Like, I want to be able to remember a recent play of it. Like right now, when I'm thinking back to Battlestar Galactica in January, like that memory is already starting to fade and it's too far <laughs> away. Um, so I think two to three times a year for the longer games, for the ones that are a little bit shorter or easier to get to the table that I just happen to not be, maybe like four times a year-ish, like once a quarter. 
but two to three is not kind of a bad benchmark, I would say, for especially because most of these games tend to be longer ones. Yeah, I don't know what enough is for me either. It, but yeah, it's weird because a lot of my favorite games I haven't played in a long time, like over a year. And I, it's it's weird saying that it's my favorite game when I haven't played it in so long. Like I still know it and I know how to play and I like it, I think. <laughs> because the last time I played, I liked it, but I haven't played it in a long time. So maybe as a as a starting point, I would say once a year because... <laughs> <laughs> That's that's a reachable goal, maybe. <laughs> that's that's true. I guess maybe I don't know if you're similar to me in this, but I think the reason that some of my favorite games are my favorite games is because every time I've come back to them, no matter how much time has passed, whether that is a short amount mm. of time or a long amount of time, I always really love playing them. And that, yeah, like to me, I think I'm kind of having to like recognize that just because something's my favorite doesn't mean I have to do it all the time. Like, you can compare it to food. Maybe your favorite food is something really rich and indulgent. Mm. And obviously, if you ate it every day, like, it would be too much and it wouldn't be as enjoyable. But like, when you only indulge every now and then, it almost makes it a little bit better. So maybe that is part of the reason these games are the games that we love so much. I mean, I... I have no scientific evidence to prove it, but like, yeah, when I brought back, when we, when we played Battlestar Galactica in January, I was like, oh yeah. Like I just had that feeling of like, yeah, this is that game. This is that game. I love so much. Like it just, that whenever I come back to them, I'm just happy in a way that I'm not always playing other games. Yeah. But like my game tastes have changed and some of the games that I still say are my favorites, I haven't played in a couple of years or something. And I know my tastes have changed in those last few years. So <laughs> part of me is like worried that if I play a game that's my favorite now, I might not like it. <laughs> I actually was talking to my game group about sometime in the near future, setting up um, not like our weekly meetup, but like a full game day on a Saturday or Sunday. And like literally calling it a my favorite things game day mm. where everybody brings their personal favorite game. And obviously sometimes it's hard to pick a favorite, so just pick one, whatever. (laughs) And then all we would play the whole day would be the favorite games of the people in attendance. Oh, that'd be fun. Yeah. So I I don't know if that's something uh, that anybody else has ever done before. I imagine that's not a super unique idea, but it's something (laughs) I've never done. And depending on the number of attendees, you might not even get to everybody's games. Um, But I think it would be pretty neat. Um, And you know what? I'm going to challenge our listeners right now. What is your favorite game? your all-time favorite, whatever, your in-the-moment favorite, whatever it is, we want to hear about it. And I want to know the last time that you played it. And also, if you haven't played it recently, I want you to try and get it to the table. I want you to have that same feeling that I have when I played Battlestar Galactica. <laughs> with like that just happy, like I'm in the place that I love to be right now feeling. Um, and tweet at us about it. Take a picture of you playing the game um, or tell us about how you played it recently. We would love to hear about it. Twitter, Facebook, our Board Game Geek Guild, Instagram, wherever you want to share that info with us. I want to hear about you all playing your favorite games because clearly I'm not playing mine. So uh, <laughs> let me live vicariously through you all and we'll have some fun that way.
For this week's etymology segment, since some of the games we discussed rarely make it to our game tables, we're going to discuss the origins of the English adjective rare. The word rare, defined as unusual, or few in number and widely separated, sparsely distributed, or seldom found, originated in the late 14th century and can be traced back to the old French rare, spelled R-E-R-E, -E, uh, meaning sparse. That word came from the Latin word rarus, meaning thinly sewn, having a loose texture, not thick, having intervals between, or full of empty spaces which stems from the Proto-Indo-European root raro or air, which meant to separate. A fun fact about a rare board game, the Disney's Haunted Mansion game released a couple years after the ride itself opened in the 1970s. The board game was for two to four players and you would literally be competing against each other and the ever-changing floor plan of the mansion itself. The game was released in 1972 and in 1975, but there weren't a lot of copies made uh, since Disney collectors tend to be, you know, a little bit enthusiastic about their collecting. Uh, this one is pretty hard to find nowadays. It's not the most rare board game in existence, but since uh, Ambie and I are both Disney fans, this sounded like a fun one to mention. So the Haunted Mansion itself is obviously a popular ride, and this game apparently really captured the creepy atmosphere of the ride well. Shout out to uh, Colin Druce McFadden over at Geek and Sundry, who uh, did published an article back in 2015 about rare board games. And that is where I found the information about this game. And of course, now I'm like, man, I want to find it. But if it's rare, <laughs> probably not happening. Uh, when he researched it in 2015, it was coming up uh, price is around $250, which I'm not spending that on it. But I guess, you know, I can maybe get lucky in a thrift store sometime. Who knows? And that's it for this week's Board Game Blitz. Visit our website, BoardGameBlitz.com, for video and blog content, as well as to get links to all our social media pages. This episode was sponsored by Gray Fox Games. The zombies are coming. You have to make a choice. Run, fight, or die. Reloaded. Now available at your friendly local game store or GrayFoxGames.com. Gray Fox Games. Quality games cleverly crafted. If you're enjoying the show, you can rate and review us on your podcast provider or consider becoming a patron. For as little as $1 a month, you can unlock access to unedited episodes and our private Slack channel, which lets you chat with us and other Blitz tiers directly. Head to patreon.com slash boardgameblitz to become a patron today. Our theme song was composed by Andrew Morrow. Technical support provided by Toby Mao. Board Game Blitz is part of the Dice Tower Network. Until next time, if I could play that game, if I could find a way, I'd open the box and call you, and we'd play. Bye, everyone. Bye. Uh, I recently, uh, nope, nope, starting again. What? <laughs> we're, we're so bad at this right now. Uh, it's hot in this room right now, yeah, and I'm going to blame too. it on this. Like, it's 106 degrees still in Las Vegas, oh and God. I'm very tired of the heat. <laughs> oh, Okay. Time for this week's alliteration puzzle, everyone. Last episode, we asked you to retheme a set collection tile game for a Jewish teacher who is especially wild. What game was that, Ambie? That was Rambunctious Rabbi Rummy Cube. <laughs> that was a fun one. I love the word rambunctious. Yeah. That's a good one. All right, this episode, we're asking you to retheme a game about making beer for a very outgoing and energetic person who studies plants. Good luck, everyone.